um, this message today that I got to be really honest with you is super hard. Um, so let's just put it out there to the gate. Uh, I, I want to make sure that what we have to wrestle with today is is. W- I want to put some framework around it for us, and that is, is that it's a subject matter that is probably going to touch some things in us that we didn't think were there, okay? Um, so Romans chapter 7, a lot of scripture today. Romans chapter 7, 14 through 24, has been our foundational verse, um, and it says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do. Come on, how many of us have been there before? But I do what I hate. This is my thought process every time I walk into Krispy Kreme. And so, um, (laughs) now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Then Paul would write this, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Ultimately, he would go on to conclude for us that it is Jesus, right? He's the one that rescues us. But today, as we continue on in our series seven, I want to speak to you from the subject, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, as we deal with the issue of sloth. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Jesus, we need you. Speak to us now. Teach us now. Challenge us right now. God, I pray that you would just illuminate the areas of our lives that we need illuminated, and that in doing so, we would run to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. So we give you this time. We submit to the authority of your word. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Um, how many of you, show of hands, this is not a trick question, how many of you would say that there are leaves in my yard right now? Come on, like just batches of leaves. A lot of us in here. Some of you will not raise your hand because you know where this is going, so you're like, I'm not going to let you call me out. But uh, come on, show of hands one more time. Leaves. Where are my leaves people at? Okay, a lot of us in here. Um, we have two trees in, in our yard. Well, technically they're not in our yard, they're in my neighbor's yard, which I think by law should require them to deal with my leaves, but that's a whole other subject matter. Anyways, big massive tree, one in the backyard, one in the front yard. And these trees litter my front lawn and my back lawn with leaves everywhere. And you can't even really see my lawn right now. Here's why. Because for the past few weeks, six weeks, (laughs) Eric and I have been having a conversation as to when are we going to do this, right? And so we look at the lawn. And at first it was really, come on, how many of you know when you first get the idea to do something, to take care of something, it's not as hard as it would be if you wait, right? So we look outside the window, we're like, oh, we should really get out there and do, do the leaves right now. And I was like, well, you know, it's, it's getting colder and so on and so forth. I really don't want to, I want to like, it's Saturday and we're having this conversation. And then we make this statement, maybe tomorrow. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? And then the next day, maybe tomorrow. And then we made this glorious statement, which now that I think about it, it makes no sense. We said, we said why don't we wait for all the leaves to fall? It makes sense, right? Like, just get it out. Like, all the leaves are gone. The tree's naked now. Like, we, now we just, it's one big work day, right? And then, and then you get out there and you notice all the leaves are in there. And then you go, definitely maybe tomorrow. <laughs> And we're going through this process, and in the process, we're asking our kids, we're like, hey, kids, you guys, like, hey, can we get you, like, and they're like, will you pay us? How much do you want? No joke, this is my son. 50 bucks. 50 bucks. I was 
like, no, you pirate. No, what are we talking about here? <laughs> 50 bucks. Shiloh, will you do it? And she's like, 50 bucks, dad. It's 50 bucks. Like, take it or leave it. <laughs> it's like, you fools want a house to live in? <laughs> 50 bucks. So we said, maybe tomorrow. If I'm honest with you, if you were to drive up to my house right now, there's a bunch of leaves in my front yard. Still. Here's the thing that most of us wouldn't assess by that, though. We would look at that and we go, but I'm not a lazy person. And for a lot of us, we believe sloth and this issue of sloth, to be slothful, is about laziness. Right? That would be what's in our mind, like, like lack of concern about things. We, we picture this fuzzy little animal hanging from a tree that blinks slowly. Right? Sloth. Here's the problem that I've discovered in, in reading through a bunch of, bunch of study, a bunch of work through this, is that our, our issue with sloth comes down to an inaccurate understanding of it. See, for most of us, this vice in our head is about being lazy and not a hard worker, which all of us in here would be like, no, that's not me, right? The problem is that when we view sloth as simple laziness, we are missing the full scope of what it really is and the vast dangers that are associated with it. See, laziness would be one symptom of it, but to my surprise, as I would study this out and look at it, the other symptom of it is busyness. It's not just laziness that we're dealing with, it's busyness that we're dealing with. Because here's the true issue of sloth. If the question is, if both laziness and busyness are the symptoms, what are we really dealing with? And here's the thing, to be slothful is to find oneself in the practice of constant avoidance. Here's the question I want to ask us this morning, what are we avoiding? In life, what are we avoiding in our relationships? What are we avoiding in our faith? What are we avoiding in our personhood, our personal development? What are we avoiding in our jobs? What are we avoiding in the places and spaces of life? Because if we're really honest and we really dig into this, we all have a problem with sloth. Here's the issue with busyness we can justify it under certain means. We can justify it in the idea that, come on, how many of you would agree with me? For many of us, we wear busyness as a badge of honor these days. Right? You're like, how are you doing? Busy. And we stick our chest out when we do it. Busy. Got a lot going on. Lots going on. It's full. It's a lot. It's good. Lots of stuff. It's all happening. Right? When was the last time you go, like, hey, how are you doing? You're like, I'm so lazy right now. <laughs> Moving about two miles an hour. That's life for me. No, it said no one ever. No one admits that, but we will gladly, like, perfect. busy? I'm busy. Yeah. The problem is, is that with busyness and laziness, what we're really doing is we are avoiding. Here's the next question I'm going to start asking people. What are you avoiding? Yeah. <laughs> That's different. How are you doing? What are you avoiding? Now, some of you, they don't ask me that question. <laughs> It'd be weird walking into church. Hey, how are you doing today? What are you avoiding? You're like, you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me. <laughs> Wendy Wasterstein puts it like this. Sloth guides us in a step-by-step process towards a life of non-committal inertia. And this is done either by busyness or laziness. All right? Slothful people, she would continue to say, slothful people want the easy life. 
They find detachment from the old selfish nature to be too difficult, painful, and burdensome. So they neglect to perform the actions that would maintain and deepen relationships of love. They harden their hearts towards any change that requires sacrifice or surrender on their part. When it comes to God, sloth is the vice of those who want the security of having God's love without the real sacrifice and ongoing struggle to be made new. I'm going to say that one more time. It's deep. I know. It's deep. It sucks. (laughs) When it comes to God, sloth is the vice of those who want the security of having God's love without the real sacrifice and ongoing struggle to be made new. And so what do we do? We get lazy or we get busy because I want to avoid. Right? I want to avoid the process of God working in me, and so I'm lazy about it, and I don't do anything about it, and I don't let him, or I want, to, I want to avoid it by busyness, because this one's easier for me to justify, but at the end of the day, come on somebody, I'm just simply avoiding, right? And here's, we're going to kind of just jump back and forth, jump back and forth during this whole message, is that this is how we work, like this affects our relationship with God, but it affects our relationship with others as well. This affects marriages. I actually, as, it's, as we've been studying this, Erica's preaching downtown today. And so both of us in our household this week are studying sloth together. And there's literally been moments where I'm like, oh my goodness, baby, I am so sorry. I didn't realize this issue is going on in our marriage right now. So it plays into all these other areas. Why? How, how does that work out in our marriages? When I don't change, I'm not loving her. When I'm slothful about the process. And so if you have been around me any amount of time, I'm the type of person that once I discover something in my life, I try to change it as quick as possible. So yesterday, what I I was like, yesterday I was like, okay. And so I got up and I'm cleaning the kitchen. Like I'm into it, right? Like I'm in, I'm just going and she's, she's out and about and she's come home and I'm like, babe, don't worry about it. Like, and I'm doing my thing. And she's like, what do you want? I'm like, nothing. (laughs) Nothing. I don't want to be a song. Think about this. We want the security of having God's love without the real sacrifice of ongoing struggle to be made new. So we do that with God. We want the security. I want the security of of Erica's love without the real sacrifice and ongoing struggle of being made new. Am I talking to anybody in church this morning? I love you, church. (laughs) Just going to put that out there. This is all of us. We wrestle with this, and we do it through busyness and laziness. I'm going to just stay on this, this vein right here. Right? Aquinas describes the vice of sloth like this. In sloth, we resist our identity in Christ and His presence in our hearts. We balk at God's invitation to be imitators of God and to be transformed by Him over the rest of our lives. In other words... Sloth bemoans the investment that is required of self in order to have and build healthy and lasting relationships. The sloth creates distance because to love, actually love and be loved, requires a compromise in plans, demands, sacrifice, alters one's thoughts, patterns, perceptions, and will transform their view of the world. To them, not engaging or investing is easier, even if it includes their own unhappiness, 
rather than risking one's own comfort in order to experience the transformational power of love, both vertically and horizontally. Everybody shout sloth. Sloth. <laughs> Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 says this, I passed by the field of a sluggard. Other translations would use the word sloth here is the, is the better definitive word. By the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns and leaves were everywhere. <laughs> the ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down and his children were trying to pull money from him. It's the JPP translation. <laughs> then I saw, then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, I'm going to push this further. This is going to hurt a little bit more, but I love you, church. I'm trying to be your pastor this morning. And then we'll get somewhere, okay? You're like, Where? Sloth is opposed to the Christian virtue of diligence, perseverance, faithfulness, commitment, and work. Sloth freaks out when those things are brought up, right? It freaks out slowly, but it freaks out. (laughs) Check this out. This is crazy. The telltale root of our word diligence is the Latin word diligery. Which means to love. Mm. To be diligent is to love. Mm. Think about this. How is my workplace my ministry? Mm. When you're diligent at work, you are loving people. Mm. When I'm diligent in my home, I am loving people. People, come on somebody. When I'm diligent at school, I am loving people. I am being loving in nature by way of my diligence. When I am diligent with the things that my wife needs for me, what am I doing? I am loving her. Diligence is the root of love at the end of the day. The sloth is enamored. Let's take it theological for a second. Again, this is kind of like an episode from Lost. We're going to grab all these different things and then, and then we'll get there. The sloth is enamored with justification. This is the moment of salvation. But rejects sanctification, the process of change through grace, producing transformation because the sanctifying work of grace at face value is hard at times. It's intricate. It's precise in so many moments laborious. The most liberating truth that we can possibly hear today is that transformation and the work of Christ in our lives is a partnership with Jesus. How many of you would understand this concept right here is that we have a tendency to believe upon God to be this magic figure, right? We want him to be magic. We want him to wave his wand. We think that prayer is some magic concoction instead of process. And that's why we get frustrated with God sometimes. Because we want to be able to go, God, this. And he goes, poof. (laughs) Come on, somebody. God, I've got this addiction. Don't worry. (laughs) Poof. No more addiction. God, we've got this marriage problem. Just wave your wand. Poof. 
No more marriage problem. I've got this finance problem or this health problem or this situation. Or we have women that are being trafficked and we want to rescue them. Wave your wand. Poof. No, no, no. He says raise money, buy a house, stick the women in there and work with them. What is that called? Diligence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not talking with me right now. Isn't that what we want? And we bemoan God sometimes because if God is such a good God, why do we have these problems when he could just go poof? <laughs> it's because in some weird way, and I have no, no idea why, one of the questions for God when I get to heaven is he that he wants to work with us. It's in partnership. See, God doesn't just magically wave his wand and fix my marriage. I've got to partner with him and I've got to partner with my wife and produce a healthy marriage. Right? He doesn't make healthy churches. We work together. We partner together. And what do we do? We produce a healthy church in and through partnership with God and those of us around us called community. All right? So this is a really big issue. Um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is what Jesus would say. Watch this. This will mess with you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Yes! I love that scripture. We all love that scripture, don't we? It preaches so well. I could preach a message just on that. It preaches so well. I could shout. I could yell. I would call down the heavens, right? On that scripture alone. Yes, I love it. It gives me rest. And then he says this. Take up my yoke. No, no, no. Wait a second. You just told me to let go of things. On the backside of rest, he says to take up something. Learn from me. No. no, no. <laughs> Think about it. Why? Hey, do, you, do you see the action words in here? Yes. Take up. Learn from me. For I am lonely and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is, is light. I want us to notice that this is a great exchange. Now, I want to be very clear on this, just so we know. So some of you might be asking, like, okay, where do they stand on certain things? Here's where I stand on this. We do not earn our salvation. Amen. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You will not pick it up at Walmart, on a rollback, or at Costco in mass form. (laughs) You cannot. We cannot earn it. Okay? There's a difference between earning my salvation and putting effort into my transformation. Right. So you're right, we do not earn our salvation. I can't do anything to get it. It is a gift from God because he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And upon that cross, I have this gift of grace. Jesus has provided it for me. That is amazing news. That is the gospel. That is the storyline. But when I accept him, I put effort into my transformation. Do you know how to get to know God more? I have to read it. (laughs) It's hard. I don't like to sometimes. I don't understand it at times. Leviticus is... Come on. Because, like, if we're honest, can we just be, like, truthful in here? Like, I just want to be like that. (laughs) Come on. That's how we want it, right? Right? Like, Matrix. Just, like... We're not talking about earning anything. So it's, it's a process. It's, there's work involved. There's effort involved. So here's the very hard truth that we're going to wrestle with today. We cannot accept the love, 
grace and power of God through His Spirit in our lives and remain the same. Where is... I need, I need Devon. Would you come help me, bud? I'm going to illustrate it for us this way. See, for a lot of us... Will everybody see me over here? For a lot of us, we love the idea that God loves us right where we're at. This is sloth. Devon is God. <laughs> I love you, bro. <laughs> So Devon's God, and he's over there, and, and, and he loves me right, right where I'm at. He loves me right here, okay? In all my slothiness, in all my, in all my stuff, and all my junk, and all my funk, and all my things, he loves me right where I'm at. But here's the cool part about it, is that God extends a hand. I want you to see this. God sticks a hand out in love. I decide what I do with it. Are you hearing me, church? The sloth, watch this, the sloth fights because I really like the idea of God loving me where I'm at. But I don't know if I like the process of having to move. So we create theologies around sloth. God loves me right where I'm at. He's got no judgment for me. You're right. He forgives me right where I'm at. You're right. But guess what? He loves you enough to say, please don't stay there. (laughs) Does he love me in the midst of my addiction? 100%. Does he love me in the midst of all the other things, in in the midst of my frustrations and insecurities and fears and things and habits and hang-ups and all that? Does he love me right here? Yes, he loves me so much, but he loves me so much more by saying, let me give you my hand, take my yoke upon you, for it's easy and light, and please step into the future that I have for you. Anybody hearing this word this morning? (laughs) So this is why Paul would write in Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we what? Don't give up. What's he saying? He said, like, don't stop. Man, your posts keep on going. Therefore, as we have every opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those that belong to the household of faith. Come on, everybody turn to your neighbor and say, sloth. Turn back to your neighbor and say, be quiet. (laughs) So remember, it's just not, hey, pop back up here. (laughs) I need God again. So we go, but that's not me. That's, that's not me. I'm not laying, I'm not, I'm not sloth like this. Let's illustrate it another way. (laughs) I'm so busy building my business, building my this. I'm so busy. Get my hand, get my hand, get my hand. Ha ha. (laughs) 
It's avoidance of the change. It's avoidance of the transformation that God wants to do in and through me. I'm either laying down and apathetic about it, or I am busy and ignoring it all. Either way, I'm a sloth. You see how dangerous this is? So hard. The crazy thing is, is we do this with our spouses. We do this with our friends. We do this with our churches. I'm tired. <laughs> Sloth is tired. <laughs> Thanks, bud. I want to read something to you guys. The demon of acedia or sloth, this guy named Evagoras would write. They called it the noonday demon in their monastery. Is the one that causes the most serious trouble of it all. He presses his attack upon the monk about the fourth hour or 10 a.m. And besieges the soul until the eighth hour, 2 p.m. First of all, he makes it seem... I want you to just put yourself in this picture for a moment. Close your eyes if you need to. To imagine this. He makes it seem that the sun barely moves, if at all, and that the day is 50 hours long. Then he constrains the monk to look constantly out the windows, to walk outside the cell, to gaze carefully at the sun, to determine how far it stands from the ninth hour, 3 p.m., to look now this way and now that, to see if it perhaps... One of the brethren appears from his cell. Then too, he instills in the heart of the monk a hatred for the place. A hatred for his very life itself. A hatred for manual labor. He leads him to reflect the charity has departed from among the brethren. That there is no one to give encouragement. You ever been there before? Should there be someone at this period who happens to offend him in some way or another, this too the demon uses to contribute further to his hatred. This demon drives him along to desire other sites, other places, other spaces, other people, come on, where he can more easily procure life's necessities, more readily find work and make real success of himself. He goes on to suggest that after all, It is not the place that is the basis of pleasing the Lord. God is adored everywhere. He joins to these reflections the memory of his dear ones and of his former way of life. He depicts life stretching out for a long period of time and brings before the mind's eye the toil of the ascetic struggle and, as the saying has it, leaves no leaf unturned to induce the monk to forsake his cell and drop out of the fight. Watch this. No other demon follows close upon the heels of this one when he is defeated by sloth. He sinks into a state of deep peace and inexpressible joy that has arisen out of his struggle. When I go back and I turn back, I sleep in my apathy. This is why it's so dangerous. This seven series is not a series judging us or saying we're these horrible people. Hopefully this series to you as it's been to me has been a series where we could take a a hard look at things and go, 
what's really going on on the inside. Like Paul, we could ask the question, why do I do what I do? So I'm going to do something today that I've never done in the history of this church. I'm going to give you two points. (laughs) That's all I've got. So I want to give us two truths that we must remember when dealing with the issue of sloth in our lives. First one is this. Come on, everybody shout number one. The romance of relationship is found in the unromantic rhythms of process. Come on, did you hear that this morning? The romance of relationship is found in the unromantic rhythms of process. 2 Peter 1, 3-8. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these, He has given us very great and precious promises. We all love that, right? Yeah! So that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Yes! He's given us all these things. I have it. I got it. Now watch what he says. For this very reason, for that reason, because of what he's given us, make every... (laughs) Wait, what? No, 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 no. I thought he's given us something. Make every effort to supplement your faith or add protein to it. That's what he's saying. Supplement your faith. Add some protein to your faith. What's the protein look like? With goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control. No. (laughs) Self-control with what? Endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in what? Totality. No, no, no. If you possess these qualities in what? Increasing measure. What does that tell us? It is a process. It is a journey. And the sloth rejects the journey. Mm. You see, I think for many of us, if not all of us, we want our relationship with Jesus to be this grand adventure. This almost romantic walk through sun-kissed fields and fruitful orchards. Right? We just want to walk like just me and Jesus as you touch the tip of, of wheat. You know what I'm talking about? That's the picture that we all want with Jesus. It's like just me and Jesus. It's just a beautiful moment. Just me and him. And it's so it's like all the fields. And the wind blows across us and it's a butterfly. Beautiful blue skies. It's me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. That's how we want this. We have this grand romantic picture. Yet as we get into it, if you're like me, I find it to be more like a bus ride through rough neighborhoods. Side streets and dimly lit stops. Why? Because he takes us to the places through transformation that we want to avoid. Come on. He ta- like we want, I don't want to go to that, that, that place I used to live. I don't want to go back and deal with this issue that I, that I know is there. I want to avoid it. That is what sloth does. This is what we do in our marriages. I don't want to deal with that offense. I don't want to deal with what was said yesterday. And over over time, we distance ourselves. Over time, we move away from the very place that God wants to bring His greatest work in our lives. I've been married for 
January will be 15 years me and Erica have been married. We did the math yesterday, and we've known each other for like 28, 28 years I've known my wife. 28 years I've annoyed my wife. <laughs> and we were, we were talking about it yesterday, and so we were sitting on the couch, and um, I got my hair cut yesterday, I took my son, so I dealt with envy yesterday, so I had to go back to, like, so he's got this head of hair. Don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this story. He's got this head of hair that I want. And I was like, babe, I wish I had my son's hair. She goes, I wish you had your son's hair. Because <laughs> I'm balding right here. This is going away. I'm becoming a middle-aged man. She leans over me as we were sitting on the couch yesterday. I had my glasses down, right? <laughs> on the bridge of my nose. And then the kids would come in. And in order for me to talk to them, I'd have to go like this. You know this look? She's like, what's wrong with your neck? It's my eyes, not my neck. <laughs> I was getting old right in front of her. And I looked over at her, right? Her hair was up in a ponytail and she had her nice little cute glasses all, all fine. And I was just like, man, you are hot. Like, that's what I said to her, right? We could talk real in church, right? And I'm like, man. And she's like, thank you. And then I thought about myself and I was like, you're not. <laughs> She didn't say that. I thought that about myself, right? You know what I love about my wife? What I love about our marriage and what I love about our relationship is we're constantly finding new ways to love each other and not distance ourselves from each other. That's what this issue is. Whether it's with Jesus, the romance of our relationship is found in the unromantic rhythms of process. Yesterday was cleaning kitchens and raising children and two-year-old daughters running around messing up the clean that you just did. And it was frustration at moments and anger in other moments and lippiness in some moments and attitude here. Come on, that's, that's our life. That's our marriage right now. And you know what? We're trying to make that thing beautiful because romance is found in the unromantic rhythms of process. It's our relationship with Jesus. It's unromantic sometimes. There's some of us in here today, and I just, I got to put this down because I need us to understand us that are like, man, I just don't feel it in worship anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't feel it when Jason speaks. He's just weird now. Shouts all the time. I don't feel the newness of my faith. I don't feel God like I used to. I don't, I don't, I don't. And that's because we're looking for the romance of it all. And he's trying to get us to move into the process of it all. He says, I don't need you to feel romantic anymore because I want to do some surgery on you. And there's nothing romantic about that. You see, God's greatest work in our lives is done through the process that the sloth rejects. Time. Number two, last one, is this. The freedom of grace is found in the confines of love. You see, love is a set of boundary lines. Galatians chapter 5, 13 and 14 says this, For you were called to be free. I love that part. Brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But watch. Serve one another through love. Serve one another through love. See, a lot of us believe that the gospel is about our freedom. When the truth is, is that the gospel is about the freedom that we have in Christ. 
but the desire to love people and be in the confines of those boundaries. Because how many of you would agree with me, love is hard? I found that the greatest way that I love my wife is not by living free, it's by living what? Diligent. Oh, come on. That's how I love my wife. You know how I love my wife to the greatest degree? Is we have a rule in our house, last one out of bed makes the bed. That's the rule in our house, last one out of bed makes the bed. And you know how many times I've not made the bed? I didn't do it this morning, actually, as I preach about sloth. Um, I get up out of bed. I say, babe, and she's like, hey, you were last out. And I was like, I know, but I got, like, I got to, I got to be busy. I'm not loving her. Diligence. I just want to love people. Can you stick with them? <laughs> two great commandments, love God and love people. Can you stick with both? When the journey gets tough and it gets rough and it gets hard and they spit in your face and God's not answering when you want him to answer and can you stick with it? Can you keep on going? Can you put your head down and take one step in front of the other every single day? I'm going to love God and I'm going to love people. I'm going to love God and I'm going to love people. I'm going to show up even when I don't want to and I'm going to keep on going and I'm going to love my wife or my husband even when I don't want to. I'm going to love my kids even though they're...